I want to take this time in our service before we turn to Scripture to take a moment and welcome those of you that are a first-time guest with us this morning. We want to especially welcome you and thank you for being a part of our service today. And I would also like to invite you, if you would be so kind, to take a moment and fill out our guest card. You can find it by accessing it through the QR code that's printed on the card in front of you. It looks like the one on the screen that is behind me at the moment. And you can scan that with your phone. That'll take you to a, a welcome card that you can tell us a little bit about yourself and fill out that information for us so that we can then follow up with you, especially if you have any questions about our ministry. You can also use this QR code if you have any questions about some of the ministries that were announced in the beginning of the service, jail ministry being one, Kids for Truth and others. If you have questions about how you can get involved in some of those ministries, you can use the same QR code and contact us uh, through the same website. So we're so appreciative of that. I also wanted to just take a moment and uh, give you an uh, update on where we are regarding uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. We are pleased to announce that they are going to be able to join us, and that is going to be on October the 28th. That's a Friday night, and uh, we will be getting more information out to you regarding um, how you can get tickets to this event. I will say, I won't go into all the details here, but the Lord really opened up an opportunity for us to have um, them with us. Uh, the Gettys, as you know, a lot of the songs that we sing, they have written those in Christ alone is arguably the, they're probably the most well-known song, but they've written a number of others, and we had tried to get them in the past, and it fell through for various and sundry reasons, and uh, so uh, some scheduling on their end and our end, uh, we were able to work it out this time, and so we'll get you more information in the next week or so, but again, October 28th, that's a Friday night. Uh, we are so privilege to have the Gettys going to be joining us here on that, on that evening. In our service today, as we get ready to return to our abbreviated study on the armor of God, we started just last week, it's going to be about a four-week series or so. You can find that text in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to join you there in just a moment. But this is our Lord's Supper Sunday. We do take once a month to set aside as a church family to observe the Lord's Supper. This is one ordinance of, of a couple that the scriptures give to us to practice as a New Testament church, one being baptism that happens one time after somebody receives Christ as their Savior. Scripture teaches us that we are to be baptized publicly as a display of our faith in Christ. Baptism, like the Lord's Supper, neither of which save you. They cannot bring redemption into your heart. While baptism happens once, the church is commanded to observe the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. The scripture doesn't dictate exactly how often that is to be. Here at our church, we have historically um, observed the Lord's Supper once a month, and so that is the Sunday that we are going to do it is, is here today. And sometimes if you're a guest this morning, if, or maybe you're new to church, maybe you've never been around ministry very much, or around church very much, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been into a church, I don't want this to cause any confusion in your heart. Uh, so I want to just take a moment, explain Lord's Supper briefly, and then we'll look at our text this morning. The clearest text that we have after the Gospels, after Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper the night before um, he was betrayed and shortly then before he was crucified, the Apostle Paul deals with the Lord's Supper in a book called 1 Corinthians. And part of the problem in the Corinthians church was that the Lord's Supper was being uh, mishandled. They were not observing it in a way that was honoring to the Lord. And so I want to just read a few verses and then explain briefly about 
who here today um, could, could take the Lord's Supper with us this morning. Paul says this, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you have come together and it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, by church, just think body as a, as a church family, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it. I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. In other words, some were proving themselves by their actions to not be true believers in Christ and they were causing division. When you come together, Paul writes, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One is hungry, another gets drunk. So there's all kinds of inappropriate actions taking place during the Lord's Supper in Corinth. Paul says, do you not have houses to eat in and drink in, or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then Paul gets a little bit more specific into how we as a body are to observe the Lord's Supper. He goes on in verse 23, for I've received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant or the new testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's, interesting, his death, until he comes. So the cup, juice, represents a picture of the shed blood of Christ. The piece of bread that we use is to show and to illustrate the broken body of Christ. And interestingly, he says that as often as we observe the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. Interesting, not his resurrection, but his death until he comes. I won't read the rest of the chapter, but I do want to point out to you that Paul says, for anyone who drinks, eats, or drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And so Paul calls us, when he comes to the Lord's Supper, that we are to do so with a sense of soberness, understanding the magnitude of what this picture means, that we don't want to take it frivolously, we don't want to take it out of just the empty religious action. It is something that should be reflective and remembering Christ's death and proclaiming his death to the world. And Paul, I didn't read the verse, but Paul also then calls us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts to make sure that we are prepared to receive the Lord's Supper. So if you are here with us this morning, and maybe you're not a member here at Grace, or I know some of you are here for the very first time, if you are a born-again believer that you know for sure there has been a time or a place and a place where you have put your faith in Christ, and you can go back to that time in your mind right now and remember when that was, and if you are walking in obedience to Scripture, not in absolute sinless perfection, that is not going to happen this side of heaven, 
but you are living in accordance to Scripture, you are living obediently, and your desire is to serve God, we would absolutely invite you this morning to observe the Lord's Supper with us. If you cannot answer those questions, we would respectfully ask that you refrain and make sure that before you partake in this Lord's Supper or a future one, that you settle once and for all your salvation. And so as we turn now our hearts toward the Lord's Supper and toward Scripture, let's pray together and then we'll look at Ephesians chapter 6. Father, we are thankful this morning once again for the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper together as a church family. May this never be just a routine that we do once a month to check it off our calendar, but rather it would be a time of introspection, a time of remembrance of what what your son did for us on the cross of Calvary. As we'll be looking this morning, we we were lost in darkness without hope. And apart from the finished work of Christ, we have no hope. And so, Lord, we are thankful for this this picture that you have left to us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we ask now your blessing on our time together this morning. Direct our hearts to your scripture without distraction and without losing focus this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in our time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw an interview a couple of years ago. I do not know the man's name who was conducting the interview. I had never heard of him before. Couldn't tell you his name if my life depended on it. But I remember about this interview, I even vaguely remember who he was talking to, some celebrity or whatever. And he was asking this person questions, and in the midst of the interview, he stopped and he said, you know, I'm not a very spiritual person said, I don't really have any kind of religion. I don't really have any kind of religious opinions. He said, but. He said, and I'm, as I can't quote him directly, but I remember the gist of what he said. He said, but when I look at the evil that exists in this world, it makes me wonder if there's a heaven and hell. Now, he never believed in a heaven or a hell. He never believed that I know of in Christ, unless he has since. But he was a spiritual person. You know, he's partially right in that we are all spiritual people, not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, as we started last week, is describing for us a battle that each and every one of us is involved in, whether we are aware of it or not, that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare that is taking place in our time as it did for thousands of years prior to this day and time. And so Paul, writing to the Ephesians in chapter 6, we looked at just two verses last week, we'll look at just two this week, but I want to go back to verse 10, which we studied together a week ago, and begin reading where Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, we looked at those two verses last week, and to summarize it very briefly this morning, in verse 10, 
Paul says that we are to be strong in the Lord. We looked last week, we talked at length that this is a passive verb. When he says be strong, it could easily be understood better, I think, as be strengthened by the Lord. Receive his strength. Be strengthened by the power of another. Whenever we hear somebody say, hey, be strong, here's typically what we think about. We think about doing pull-ups or doing push-ups, or we think about joining a gym and getting strong. That's really not the picture that Paul is giving us. It's not something that you can do in and of yourself. This is something that God, through his power and strength, does for you. Be strengthened in the power of God. We studied that at length last week. In verse 11, he tells us, he actually commands us that we are to be prepared for the spiritual warfare, which we'll describe in a little bit more detail today. We are to be prepared for this spiritual warfare by sinking into, is the literal word for put on, we are to sink into the whole armor of God. It's interesting that elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul uses imagery of an athletic event in certain places. He talks about being a runner and making sure that we run with perseverance. He also uses imagery of games in other places to talk about spiritual truths. Here in this context, he's talking about an imagery that you might not find as comfortable as talking about running a race. Here, he is talking about full-on warfare, that this is a battle that is fought not with tanks and machine guns, but it is a battle that is fought in our hearts. It is a battle that is fought in the culture at large as we look at what is taking place around us. We looked at that at length last week too. So now Paul is going to tell us not only be strengthened in the Lord, not only be prepared, as we studied last week, but in verse 12 now, he encourages us to be aware. Now, I would suggest to you that verse 12 is really the hinge of this passage. In other words, in a sense, verse 12 is the centerpiece of Paul's argument. Why do I need to be strengthened? Why do I need to put on or sink into the clothing of God? Verse 12, for, I prefer the word because, because you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Be aware of what you are up against. Be strengthened. Be clothed in the armor of God. Why? Because your life, your spiritual life is on the line. You are engaged in a spiritual battle. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So let's begin this morning with verse 12 and look at Paul's call for us 
to be aware of what is taking place around us. We have to be understanding that beyond physical people, there is a worldly system. There is a mindset, a philosophy. There is a worldview that counters what Scripture teaches to be right and true. And Paul tells us that we are in a wrestling match. We'll look at that word in just a moment. But Paul says that you are wrestling not with a physical army with tanks and guns and grenades, that you are involved in a spiritual battle. Now, here's the reality that each and every one of us are probably aware of already. But as human beings... You do not have, look at some of the words that Paul says. He says, you are fighting against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. You don't have those in your strength, do you? You are not a person who is gifted, who has access to, in your own strength, this cosmic power, Paul says, that is pushing back against you. You and I are nothing more but ordinary, fallen, flawed mortals who are simply flesh and blood. That's what we are. The supernatural and scheming nature of our spiritual enemy, however, is what makes the, enemy, or the armor rather, of God an absolute necessity. Notice Paul's argument. He is not negating the reality of wicked people, flesh and blood, in this evil age. But he is talking about sort of the spiritual philosophy and the spiritual influences that are coming uh, behind the scenes, if you will, that are existing behind the scenes, that are coming at us through people. Because we know, Scripture teaches elsewhere, that all people, people by nature are sinful. That does not, however, to negate the existence of satanic influences that infect human activities. Let me give you a couple of examples of what Paul here is, is driving at. You don't have to turn to all these unless... Unless you want to, I'll read them as slowly as I can for sake of time. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, get this, in verses 13 through 15, he says, for such men are false apostles, okay, he's talking about people that are teaching error. They're teaching false doctrine. They are deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for even Satan distinguishes himself as an angel of life, a light. So it is no, so, no I can't read today. So it is no surprise if servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul is simply saying this. There are people that look like they're speaking truth, but they are liars. They are deceitful. They are false teachers. They're flesh and blood. They're people. But he says, just like Satan comes and presents himself as a 
angel of light. These present themselves as angel of light. But notice he says that they are not servants of righteousness. They are actually servants of evil. Notice one more, Ephesians 4. Actually, you can turn over a page or so in your Bible and look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Even in the apostles writing to the to the church at Ephesus, he writes this. He says, and he gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhold, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now listen to the next phrase. By human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. So there are sinful human beings that take on flesh and blood, and they are going to oppose you. They're going to oppose me. I had somebody ask me this week, they said, did the FBI like raid your house after what you said last Sunday? (laughs) There is absolute human opposition to truth. Paul is simply saying this, don't only see flesh and blood. There is a spiritual warfare that is engaged behind what we can see physically that we are fighting against. It's beyond the person in front of you. It's bigger than that. It's worse than that. It's scarier than that. And so Paul reminds us then by this word wrestle, that we don't wrestle simply with flesh and blood. We are wrestling with principalities, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. You're not going to fare very well against that on your own. And Paul says that we are engaged in this wrestling match. This comes from a Greek word, pele. It means a contest between two individuals, I like this, that are endeavoring to throw one another on the ground and victory is decided when one opponent holds the other one down by his neck. That's what the Greek word, the context of the Greek word meant. In our our day and age, physical wrestling, I wrestled one year, decided it really wasn't my thing. It was a little too close contact for me. Football, you got a helmet on, you got pads on, that's a little less personal. Wrestling is a very personal thing. You are lining up across the mat from another person, and they are desperately going to try to throw you on the ground. I like that part of wrestling, by the way. To throw you on the ground and to beat you into submission. Think MMA in our current culture. And he says, you are fighting against cosmic powers in hand-to-hand combat. Think about how military, I've never been in the military, so Marines in the room, I know there's several of you, excuse my ignorance a little bit. But I know enough about warfare to understand this. Much of warfare today, our government recently took out a person in Iran by a drone. 
there was some guy sitting somewhere with a little controller flying this thing over. And you could do that from a ship. You could do that from your living room. You could do that from your kitchen. You can hit a button from here and send a missile thousands of miles away and cause tremendous damage. We've seen that in the horrors of what's happening in Ukraine. We see that every day on the news. We've probably gotten a little accustomed to it. Shame on us. This isn't that kind of fight. This is the kind of fight that you are up close and personal. You can taste the enemy's blood. You can taste their sweat. You can hear the grunting and the manipulation and the maneuvering as you're trying to win this battle. Paul says, you better be ready and prepared and dressed for battle because you are wrestling against an enemy that is far more strong than you are, far stronger than you are. Now, I won't, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but in, our, in the last little bit, it's very, I think, appropriate and fitting for our Lord's Supper time. Notice what Paul says, still in verse 12. He says, this struggle is not an ordinary battle fought on a physical battlefield. It is a battle against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present dark world and against spiritual forces of evil. Again, I, I'm not going to get into the weeds of this, and if, if you hold this position, I, that's fine. As I always lovingly say, you have the right to be wrong. It's totally fine. I do not believe that Paul is presenting here a hierarchy of, of demonic beings. I, I don't think that's what he's doing. There are people, commentaries that break these down, and these are these guys, and these are these guys, and okay, I, I, maybe that's maybe that's correct. I, I think it's reading into the text something that I'm, I'm not convinced that's Paul's argument. I'll give you reasons why. I don't categorically deny that, by the way. That may be the case, but I think to make such categorizations is rooted in a whole lot of speculation. Let's take, a, let's take these couple of words, these words, and just look at them kind of in a greater context of Scripture, for instance. Rulers and authorities, the first two, they're used together elsewhere. In Colossians 1, 6, we find this, For in him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. There's those two words together. All things were created through him and for him. Now, that may cause you some grumbling in your spirit and in your soul, like, well, if these were created beings, if demons and Satan himself were created beings, and I believe that they absolutely are, that they are created, therefore, while they have influence, they are limited. And so Paul here, using this imagery of rulers and authorities, they were created by him, but they are therefore limited. Colossians, once again, chapter 2, and I want you to hear this one, because it's very easy for us when we read verses like verse 12 and think about the sinful, carnal, evil people out there, those that are outside of the walls of this church building, they're out there, they're in darkness, they are lost. I want you to be reminded of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, and you, 
you, put your name in there. And you, Jay, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. There was a a decisive victory at the cross of Calvary. I don't have time to read through the others, but let me just highlight uh, the cosmic powers here just for, actually, let me just mention one other mention of rulers and authorities. I'll give you the verses. I'll only read, I'll only read a couple of them. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21, we see the same idea. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, verse 10, we find this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may know, be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Let's talk about cosmic powers for just a moment and spiritual forces. Cosmic powers only occurs here in the New Testament. It's the only place that it comes up. It seems to be that this is a description of the, a part of this present darkness and evil. And actually, here was the verse I was thinking about for a moment when we think about the carnality that's out there. I read to you the Colossians passage, but in Ephesians, in this same book, If you want to turn back a couple of pages, you can. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says something very similar to what he says in Colossians, but a little more pointed. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you would still be a part of the darkness of this age. You would still be in that group of people. And so before we get to comfortable, we have to remember from whence we came and where God delivered us from. Back in Colossians, Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. You know, we could argue, we could get a little panel up here and have a back and forth discussion on redemption and how salvation happens, and we could talk about that, and there's differences to some degree in opinion on how all that happens and all that. Let's just summarize it this way. Apart from God working in your heart, you would be as lost today as you were before you got saved. 
There's nothing special about you. There's nothing great about you. It's not like God looked through the corridors of time and said, I need to save that person because they're going to do great things for me. It was by his grace and his mercy because you, by nature, were a part of the darkness that reigns in this present age. I don't know about you, but that brings a sense of appreciation to my soul. Apart from the grace of God, I would be lost. I would be one who is deceived by Satan and his minions. I don't know about you, but when I think about the picture, the overall picture of Ephesians, that you cannot, could not, never can save yourself. It is a work of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by your works of righteousness. It is a gift from Almighty God. Do you believe that? Do you praise the Lord for that? So when you drink the cup here in a minute, it may taste weird. It probably will. The bread probably won't be exactly how you want it to be. Please do me a favor and don't worry about that. When you take that bread, you do this in remembrance, Jesus said, of me. When you drink the juice, you do it in remembrance of me. Because apart from Christ, apart from his death, burial, and resurrection, you would be caught up in this culture. You would be overwhelmed, overcome by the darkness in which we live. Very quickly, notice verse 13. Paul says, therefore... What's the old saying? When there's a wherefore and a therefore, stop and see what it's there for. I like that. Because you're in this spiritual fight, this spiritual battle, therefore, in light of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Paul uses a couple of different words here. Anisime is the first one, withstand. Stand in opposition. Resist it. Stand against the tidal wave of cultural influence that pushes us toward the works of darkness. He says, withstand it. You need the armor of God to do it. Stand, histeme is another Greek word. It's used in verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. To stand, to make it a place where you are immovable. Why? Because the day in which we live is an evil time. It is an evil age. And Paul says to stand in this time, you must wear the armor of God. And we'll look at that more specifically next week. On April... 18th, 1521, Martin Luther was at the Diet of Worms. My German's terrible, I just proved it to you. Facing a death sentence for what became known as the Reformation, the solas, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, 
solo Christos. All to the glory of God. I'm blanking on the fancy language for that one. All because of his insistence that salvation is by faith alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Martin Luther, with his life hanging in the balance, said those infamous words. I have, a, I have several biographies about Martin Luther, and one is named after what he said in front of that council that day in 1521. He said, and I quote, Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. So help me, God. Amen. I think Martin Luther understood Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. The spiritual battle we face is not a rare one. In fact, it's the expected norm. We have to guard our hearts, be strong in the Lord, take up the whole armor of God, and withstand the schemes of the devil as we wrestle against him. I would suggest to you that the Christian life that is void of spiritual opposition and conflict may indicate an anemic or absent relationship with Christ. It's part of being a Christian. Standing firm in the gospel, adorned in the armor of God, will keep us from the schemes of the devil so that under his power, the power of Almighty God, we can say, along with Martin Luther, here I stand. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to ask the gentlemen if they would to position themselves for the Lord's Supper. And as I pray, I would encourage you to take some time and reflect on your own heart this morning with your own spiritual condition. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to share just two simple verses. And God, the, the warfare is real. And as we really looked last week, it's exhausting at times. We get tired of the fight. And yet, in this evil age in which we live, it is to be expected. And so, God, I pray that as we now observe the Lord's Supper, that you would use this time in our hearts to draw our attention before you and to you. And God, should there be one here today that is not sure of their salvation, may this be a time that they would see their need of redemption and that they would use this as a time as we show forth the Lord's death until you return that they might see their need of redemption and repent of their sin and call out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So God bless this time together around the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
few moments ago, I referenced Ephesians chapter 2, and I read several verses from the beginning of that chapter concerning our being dead in our trespasses and sins. But I wanted to take just a moment to read the verse that I alluded to in verse 4, when Paul says, but God, those are two sweet words, are they not? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Sweet truths that he was writing to the Ephesians. And as we think about the Lord's Supper now, we think about this piece of bread, remembering that the imagery shows that while we were lost in darkness, Jesus crucified was crucified for us. Paul writes this, he said, when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and he said, this is or this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He continues with an explanation on the cup. And Paul says, in the same way, or the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, or the new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we are, we are thankful, we are humbled by your mercy and your grace. We are well aware, I hope, I pray, of the battle that we face each and every day is a spiritual one. God, may we rest in your strength. May we be prepared and aware of what is happening around us, that we would put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And Lord, we know that Satan is a defeated foe. He was defeated at the cross of Calvary. Our sin was defeated at the cross of Calvary. And that only through the shed blood of Christ that salvation became possible. And Lord, we are thankful for saving us from our sins. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of matters before we leave today. We do have a couple of folks that are coming for church membership. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. Um, also, as you leave this morning, each month during the Lord's Supper, we do also receive a benevolence offering. The plates are in the back, and all the money that goes into the plates goes toward our benevolent needs. And so if you uh, are so inclined to give to that today, we would encourage you to do so. We also have our normal giving boxes on the back wall, and are working on some new ones of those to make them a little easier for you. Uh, they should be forthcoming, uh, but those giving boxes are on the wall in the back. 
And so we would encourage you to give on your way out today. I don't often do this to our music team because I know sometimes they have something planned and pulling up slides and all that. But since we're doing a membership and we have a couple seconds here, I'm wondering if we could sing in Christ alone. We've referenced that song um, a moment ago. Scott was playing it a second ago. And so I think that would be a great song for us to sing. The Smiths are here with us today. They're going to come this morning and join our church family, Heather and Clay. Heather is joining our team here at WCA. We're so thankful to have you. They have two children that are around here somewhere, probably at children's ministry maybe. One's back there. One's hanging out still. Uh, but they are coming this morning to become part of our church family. They have uh, both been saved through the blood of Christ. They've been baptized by immersion and have attended the prospective members class. And so it's my privilege today to present them for membership. Do I have a motion to receive them? I have lots of motions, though I have one or two seconds. I have lots of seconds, too. All in favor say amen. amen. Anyone opposed? Even Terry voted you in. That's good. We're so thankful for that. Welcome. We are so thankful to have you as part of our family here. We look forward to working with you and getting to know you a little bit better. They're, they've only been here a short time, but jumped right in and gotten involved. And we've appreciated um, their support already. While we sing, they're going to hang out near the front. If you want to come and greet them when we're finished, you can do that. And I would encourage you to do so. Let's stand together as we sing. Amen. Do we have the last verse as well on that? Let's do the first and last verse of In Christ. Yeah, let's start with the first verse. And then we'll sing that last. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm to the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>